BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Thank you, OJs, for our standard open. We would be Dr. Wendy Dees from the University of Miami. Jason Jackson from Miami Heat, Sirius XM, NBA Radio. If this is your first time stopping by, we should let you know uh, this is the place to be for all sports business discussion. It's, it's niche, it's nuanced, it's ours, and Dr. Dees, so happy to be back with you to discuss this magical world of ours. This is the absolute bright spot in the quarantine jacks that we get together on a weekly or bi-weekly basis and do this it is absolutely the place to be when you have no place to be amen amen well apparently the place to be was the national football league this week which gets us to our first topic the nfl in unprecedented fashion had to hold their draft uh, virtually the commissioner uh wedged in his home between uh what was that? That it was like New Rochelle and just north of Mount Vernon. And I'm like, look at the commission up with the people. I love it. Uh, but uh, uh, all the players and their homes around the country, all the GMs and coaches and their homes with their families. And, and it seemed as though, Wendy, that it, while it's not the way the NFL does it, it really worked out. And, and when I say it worked out, it really worked out. Historically worked out as the NFL draft had an all-time viewership record on night one and uh, and also on Friday. I didn't check how things were rolling because it started a little bit earlier with a different context on Saturday. But, man, oh, man, what a boon for the NFL uh, taking uh, the baton, obviously, from the WNBA, which had its best uh, draft viewership in 16 years. Uh, the NFL, which as it does, is the alpha dog of the sports world, uh, exploding numbers even for them. They they absolutely crushed it, Jax. And I think we all knew that it was going to be big with no live sports on, but I'm not sure that I even thought it was going to be this big. Like you mentioned, you know, great job by the WNBA and a lot of people tuned into that. 
and then the NFL's power move of just having all of these players connected and having teams connected. I mean, it was a technological virtual masterpiece. And so kudos to the NFL. They did an amazing job. And, you know, not only did the ratings numbers show how popular it was, um, but Jax, I, I kept seeing a lot of people saying that they, they actually like this format better. And we can talk about this in a minute, but just to share with our listeners, the, the numbers and why we're saying it's historic, um, the headline I saw, the NFL draft shatters all-time draft viewership. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 15.6 million viewers on night one. Mercy. They actually peaked at 19.6 million viewers, almost 20 million viewers. That was up 37. That's, that, that's, that's viewership for a game, Dr. D. Uh, that's, that's, that's incredible. You get 100 million people for the Super Bowl and you have 20 <laughs> million people for the draft. It was up 37% night one. And then on night two, when you typically see that dip, this just proves even more that people were wanting this this content with nothing on to watch because uh, day two, you had 8.2 million viewers, peaked at 10 million viewers, and day two was 40% higher than last year. The entire draft ratings-wise um, was historic, like you said. Yeah, and just a little over uh, one-fourth of this audience watched the best documentary of my life. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, but let's uh, talk about who's loving this situation because uh, the Walt Disney Company, uh, the, the organization that put on this beautiful thing via ESPN and ABC and their, their many digital platforms, sold out their advertising. I mean, you're talking about, what, about 250 grand a pop, right, for these ads? And uh, they sold out every commercial spot they had. So not only did they get a really nice payday for this, uh, their advertisers, uh, I believe around 100, got some massive eyeballs they probably did not expect. They sure did. And to put it into context, $250,000 for 30 seconds is is a good portion of what they get uh, for the Super Bowl. It's not what they're getting every year for uh, the draft. But um, 100 advertisers this year, which was more than they'd ever had. They had uh, 60 new companies. So I think that just shows people's appetite for uh, getting in on this live content. Um, And they sold out all of the first uh, round very quickly um, and then sold out the rounds after that at that same price and everything was sold out before the draft took place. Uh, people are probably saying to themselves, no bleep Jackson, Dr. D's, there's nothing else going on. That's fine. That no competition. I would still say this so far jumps beyond expectations and, and numbers that they've experienced in the past. It's worthy of noting. And, and something they also did, they being the NFL is that while the teams were making their picks, the league simultaneously held a draft-a-thon, I should say, draft-a-thon, he said. Uh, and it was a fundraiser to help raise money for uh, relief here in the United States surrounding this virus. Dr. Deese, talk to us about what they were able to do here. This is pretty astonishing. Yeah, you and I talk a lot about the NFL and just what a money machine it is, and and that's great for the NFL, and, and sometimes that's good for the players and, and the rest of the league, and sometimes that's not, and 
and the NFL, you know, gets gets a lot of flack for that. But you also have to look at the NFL in these situations where they use their massive platform for good, and they knew that everyone was going to tune in for this draft, and they raised over $100 million through mm. the draft-a-thon for coronavirus relief. Um, sending a lot of that money to organizations that are going to help frontline workers, healthcare workers, um, giving chunks of that money to the Red Cross and and you know other um, nonprofit organizations that are helping with relief. So for as much as the NFL rakes in money, they're going to give a lot of money back at a critical time where, you know. People, people need this money and, and not a lot of people have money to give, but they use this platform to, uh, to reach out to people and, and people gave in a really great way. And it was incredible. What a wonderful connection. As these young men and their families' dreams are coming true to be able to impact those uh, around them that are dealing with this uh, on a daily basis from uh, a personal standpoint either suffering from it or trying to battle it. So kudos to everybody involved. Next topic, the last dance. Wendy, this is in my wheelhouse. This is a strike right down the middle. Uh, I was fortunate enough to cover the 1997-98 Bulls once they reached the NBA Finals. And so it's a, a wonderful experience to look back and enjoy Michael Jordan and uh, – these the the second three-peat uh, version of his championship teams and uh, as we tape this um, we've had one uh, set of documentaries roll out I should say episodes of the documentary and um, we're sitting on the day where the next two are coming out in this this five-week rollout of 10 episodes uh, first of all just a glorious product and I, I know that there was a little bit of a rumbling from uh, some viewers, you know, well, well I mean, we know what's going to happen. And like, yeah, you know what happened was going to, was going to happen in World War II. Like to me, you're going to not watch the documentary. You understand that you love jazz or baseball, but they're great documentaries on those. I think it can get lost on people that there are these wonderful nuances to the things we thought we know that there is a veneer on most stories and to be able to pull that back and provide us with detail, which this has done so far, and I only anticipate to do more of, uh, is what it's all about. Uh, obviously this is something that Bulls fans, basketball fans, Michael Jordan fans, uh, sports documentary fans have been waiting on for two years. And so the fact that uh, the immediate ratings hit for ESPN uh, for the first two episodes airing on ESPN and ESPN2 uh, were simply wonderful from a rating standpoint for the worldwide leader. What'd you notice? This was just such a shrewd business move from ESPN to move the documentary up. It was supposed to have a launch date of June and they moved it up to April, given the fact again that that we didn't have the content to watch and they knew everyone was desperate for this. And so very smart move for ESPN to do that. I'm with you, Jax. The 30 for 30 documentaries are just incredible. I mean, everyone loves these. They get really high ratings, um, the, the other 30 for 30 episodes. 
Um, so ESPN reported that two of their biggest record setting 30 for 30s uh, were You Don't Know Bo um, at 3.6 uh, million viewers. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like everybody tuned in. I, I know I did for the one on OJ Made in America, which that one was very popular and it brought in 3.4 million viewers. And at the time, those were huge ratings for those particular 30 for 30s. But when The Last Dance uh, aired, just what a week or so ago 6.1 million viewers on average across ESPN and ESPN 2 uh, episode 1 had 6.3 million uh, viewers wow. and then episode 2 uh, 5.8 and it just blew the other two out of the water and those were highly rated episodes to begin with so everyone was desperate for the content and they certainly tuned in and it was another incredible documentary by ESPN but I think we all expected that. The most watched program on ESPN since the college football playoff national championship. Hello right? I mean that puts it that puts it into perspective right there. Yeah we're looking forward to uh, the episodes that are coming down we'll keep tracking uh, to see how they do. Uh, it doesn't surprise us that uh, uh, the, the leading local markets <laughs> would be Chicago and North Carolina, right? <laughs> like, it's, just, it's hilarious. I mean, the places where Jordan spent the bulk of his life, uh, obviously professionally in Chicago, North Carolina is where he grew up and, and owns a team. So right. uh, that's not surprising. He's got sh Chicago, Raleigh-Durham, Norfolk, uh, Charlotte, and, and Greensboro. Greensboro always gets in there on a basketball rating, don't they? Of course they, they do. Of all. course they do. That's it's just like uh, you know, Birmingham, Alabama is like always the high, <laughs> highest rated market watching football. No surprise. At all. All right, let's uh, change gears and, and move toward our next topic. And this one is uh, super sexy. Let's just be real honest. All right, we got a little local bias on this one as uh, the focus of the story. Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez happen to live in our town. So that's awesome, right? And uh, according to reports, come on, Mets fans, you, you've been wanting new ownership. Uh, and it, you thought you had it. And now uh, there's some investigation uh, for, from Alex Rodriguez and his fiance Jennifer Lopez, as uh, they have uh, retained the financial services of J.P. Morgan Chase to raise capital funds for a bid to purchase the Mets. I, I didn't see this coming, but why not? They are um, wealthy, <laughs> and even more so together. Uh, they're going to need a boatload more cash, and I'm sure um, that there's great advice that uh, A-Rod's getting from his uh, championship buddy, who used to play to his left there when he was in New York, Derek Jeter. Yeah, well, like you said, Jax, this is a sexy topic for a sexy podcast. So it just fits right in our wheelhouse, man. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised at all with this because uh, Alex Rod Rodriguez was quoted as saying, if the uh, Mets became available again, if this initial bid fell through. Um, uh, I believe his name is uh, Steve Cohen, the initial uh, hedge fund billionaire that was looking at purchasing the Mets. Right. Uh, that that bid kind of fell through, and Alex Rodriguez made it clear that if that didn't work, that he was interested. And here we are. What I find fascinating about these 
team purchases, Jax, is you think about A-Rod during his time. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You know, the most highly paid Major League Baseball player, J-Lo, actress, singer, celebrity, one of the biggest celebrities worldwide, you combine both of their wealth and you get $700 million, which don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money, but that is peanuts when you're talking about buying sports teams. So team owners are are these multi, multi multi-billionaires. They've amassed all of their wealth, typically in some other industry, and they buy these sports teams, quite frankly, as like a side hustle. You know, so A-Rod and J-Lo, if they go into this deal, uh, the Mets are said to be valued right now at $2.6 billion. The previous bid was for around that amount. The new bid would likely be the same, but they would be looking at just buying a very small minority stake. And just like Derek Jeter needed to come in with a big, you know, billionaire partner, a heavy hitter to be able to make the purchase, he's only 4% vested in the, uh, in the Marlins. Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo would be looking to do the same thing. So, yes, they're interested, but they have to find a real deal um, owner that can come in and help them make this happen. Well, we're going to keep an eye on this one, and Mets fans will let him hear it because, remember, before he signed with the Yankees, it looked like he was going to be a Met. <laughs> and and he, <laughs> he went with the other squad. You know, Mets fans, they are sensitive 
about that ball club in the Bronx, man. So let me tell you what, as soon as somebody signs your paycheck, a lot of those rivalries go right away. They're just speaking someone who's, you know, graduated from Florida and Miami signs my paychecks. You move over to the dark side real quick. So I think, I think uh, A-Rod will be just fine. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, Yankees fans handle that. Next topic, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee and their plans to make these budget cuts. You're going to have to get us through uh, a lot of this dynamic. Obviously, things are uh, difficult. Um, You're talking about a situation that right now has the 2020 game set for 2021. Um, Man, oh, man, if, if that isn't enough of an issue, um, particularly if it's canceled entirely, which I don't, you know, I know it remains a possibility, but I I don't think that's where we're headed with it. But the 2024 Paris games, uh, they're already starting to look that far ahead and say, Hey, we need to bring these budgets back. Why so? And what are we talking about from a cut standpoint? Well, like you said, Jax, I don't think there's anything off the table at this point in terms of what gets canceled in the future. You know, we were all really optimistic at the beginning of this, but I think now the realism has hit and um, we there would be no surprise, I don't think at this point, if the Olympics got canceled again. Hopefully that's not the case, but looking ahead, um, the USOC has already started to announce their budget cuts, and they're pretty significant. So um, the USOC, or the USOPC, if you include Paralympic Games, mm-hmm. um, but our, our national committee, they typically operate on a $1 billion budget. Well, they just announced uh, within the last week that they're going to head uh, go ahead and make their budget cuts, which are going to be around 20%. So a $200 million budget cut um, to their budget, which would go through the 2024 Paris Games. So they're going to have to find $200 million to cut between now and then. Mm. The the real interesting thing here, Jax, is they've already made cuts. So uh, the USOC chief executive, Sarah Hirschland, she's already taken a 20% pay cut. Her executives have taken a 10% pay cut, which you and I in our past podcast have talked about all the leagues are, are doing this. So now the Olympics are announcing these. So they've already cut their executives pay. Now they've got to cut 20% of their billion dollar budget out. They've made the statement that the cuts will not come from the NGBs. They will not come Uh, from the national governing bodies. So things like USA track and field or USA swimming, they, they won't let the cuts happen to the national governing bodies. And in essence, that protects the athletes. So the question then is if your executives have already taken cuts, you're not going to pull back from your governing bodies and your athletes because they're already in trouble. The athletes are, some of them are not getting paid from their sponsors. Mm -hmm. They've got to find some other place to pull $200 million off the table. That's going to be tough. The thing that's interesting to me is this caveat that the committees have extended to their partners, this option to extend uh, until after the games in 2021 at no charge. I mean, I heard about make goods, but this this is another deal here, right? I mean, 
I, I'm sure it's to, to make sure that relationships stay stable, but that's not obviously going to generate any revenue. So is that basically saving the money for now uh, and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow? Exactly. That's that's what they're doing. They're essentially saying, okay, well, you know, we'll just go ahead and, and maybe tack on this year at the end of the contract. But but still, the sponsors aren't getting any exposure right now. Um, and the, the build up to the Olympics, the two or three months before the Olympics takes place, which is right when the coronavirus and the shutdown hit, right when they were about to ramp up their global activation plans, it all shut down. So they missed that. Um, you can't really activate right now. I know you've replanned the Olympics for next summer, but you can't do anything at this point. And I think, like you said, the Olympics next summer are they're rescheduled, but everything's a question mark. So these, these sponsors and these advertisers have paid billions of dollars and they're not doing anything right now. They're not reaching anyone. And then also the athletes are not able to do anything for their sponsors and they may be losing some of their money, which is what these athletes use for their travel and training and so it's just a really tough situation and seeing the USOC cut 200 million uh, means it's a very dire situation. Topic number five coming up so therefore we high five and I take care of it because we're not side by side. It's okay. Which means, it, which means it's not as great you know. It isn't, but it isn't even close, close. but uh, I'm here for us and uh, before you become an Olympian uh, your family tends to travel around the nation, feeding into a $19 billion industry, which leads us to our final topic. As we sit right now, Wendy, I would have been, as we tape this, in Atlanta at the first of at least four, possibly five travel basketball tournaments uh, this spring and summer. Yeah, you're the, G you're the GM of a team, right? The, the president, GM, and founder of Jack's Fan Basketball. The commish. And, and this is our last season. This is our final season because all of our kids are uh, 17 and under. Uh, and that's the final year before uh, you head to college. Oh, that's awful. And so while the growth of travel teams and regional and national events have grown into this ridiculous business. I just noted nearly $20 billion business. Uh, you've got these complexes, you've got these leagues, you've got these tournaments that are all on pause right now. They've lost March and April. And for the foreseeable future, I don't know what's gonna happen because all of these entities have to wait on the recruiting calendar to be reset by the NCAA, and they can't do that until we know what kind of society uh, we're going to live in and how we're going to live in it. Doc, what, you know, what, what a mess we have here. This is, I think, a trickle-down effect that people have not been talking about. I think this is one that's simmering under the surface, and I'm glad we're talking about it, Jax, because, yes, this all affects professional sport, and that's what you and I are always talking about, And but this has a trickle-down effect all the way to high school sports and, and youth sports, kids at every level. So we were about to enter summer where travel sports are at their peak, like you just talked about, you're, you're knee-deep in it as well, mm -hmm. but these these travel sports are not only vital to the kids, but I don't think people realize youth sport in this country has become a 19 or almost $20 billion industry 
because family summers and their vacations revolve around these trips. Families pack up, they go to these kind of small, sometimes rural towns, but they camp out for a week and they play games every day and they go to movies or they go to the local water park. Um, they go to restaurants, they stay in hotels, and there are small bedroom communities all across this country that have built mega complexes just for youth sport, state and national competition, and we're talking about little small communities like Gatlinburg with 4,100 people, and they say that in the summer, hundreds of thousands of families descend upon these towns and spend money and it impacts their community up to 75 80 100 million dollars of economic impact throughout the summer because of these hundreds of thousands of visitors coming in on a multi-weekend basis every month to play youth sport st louis missouri i see you I mean, even in the heart of the pandemic, they recognize all the wonderful impact that you just described that could be coming to their space as their Convention and Visitors Commission approved a $6 million uh, hotel tax that's going to bring in cash to front a plan to turn a nearly dead mall into a youth sports complex. So they're still dug in, even though that business is basically closed until further notice. Uh, they realize what they're going to be able to turn that thing into. Uh, it's it's draining money now, I'm sure, just to keep it open. It will be printing money uh, in the next year to 18 months. Yeah, these these smaller communities, Jacks, have actually, there have been, HBO has done documentaries on this multi-billion dollar youth sport movement in our country that's that's being driven by competitive travel sport Mm -hmm. and they've talked about the fact that these small communities and municipalities have created entire economic development plans based around creating these youth sport complexes either for competition or training and the entire plan is driven by bringing in families for competitions all year long, but obviously the summer months are huge. And when school gets out from the time it gets out till it's, you know, back again in August, those three months are really uh, their tourist season because of travel sports. And with that not taking place this year, it's going to really hurt smaller communities who have made this, um, you know, the economic heartbeat of the city. And as we noted with St. Louis, as it is around the country, a lot of these facilities are publicly funded. And so they go back into the bottom line in your city. So just because you don't have a kid in the space, don't think that it doesn't impact you. Some of the services in your own town might end up having to be cut because of how much money, how much revenue, uh, probably only short to property tax, that some of these facilities uh, bring into these uh, cities and counties. 100%. It's like in Miami, tourism drives our community, and sure. it does it because of, you know, the beaches and, and the nightlife and all of that. But for these communities, their tourism now is 100% tied in to youth travel sports. And when people cannot travel, I mean, just imagine how it would be in Miami if, if we couldn't have anyone come into the county for months at a time. Um, it would be devastating. I refuse. I refuse. And I look forward to solutions by smart people, doctors, 
only, please, when you're taking advice on how to handle these situations, all right? I'm not naming names. I'm just saying. Focus, people. Fauci forever. That's what I said. Yeah, don't, don't get all hopped up on Lysol now. Oh, see, I was trying to be subtle. Try to be subtle. But you, that's why, you don't have to be. You're a teacher of the truth. That's the way it goes. A professor of knowledge. That's, we, we, that's only, we only talk facts here on this podcast, Jax. <laughs> that's Dr. D's. I'm Jason Jackson. That's going to do it for this edition. But always remember, mind your business. <laughs>